Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast and if Andre is anything like me today, he really doesn't want to be here, but <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Mr. Grayson. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, and uh, yeah, this one, this one's going to be a struggle, I think, and we've got, we've got a record for doing podcasts where some of them are us bouncing off the walls and being really exuberant and over the top, and we've got other ones when we're really melancholy and and quite down in the dumps, and I think this one's going to be <laughs> more the latter, but... We'll do our best to make it as upbeat as possible, despite the news. Um, how are you feeling after Thursday night? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, I've just got to go with sort of initial reaction. And I think I, I can't not go straight into the game because there's lots I feel that about what it meant to win and what happens afterwards. But I was thinking this morning about um, that Emil Smith-Rowe chance. And that was the last time we looked like scoring. And it was the 54th minute. Yeah. We had a mini spell of pressure, and that was it. And once that spell was over, we all knew. That was the worst part. I had come to terms with the fact we weren't scoring at about 60 minutes. Yeah. And I, But you always have that as a fan. You always have that. They're not going to do it. It's not happening today, lads. It's not happening. You can just tell. But really, you think it is? But really, we knew it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just think to sort of watch Arsenal, this attacking um, <sighs> club, this team that has gone forward relentlessly at the cost of so many stupid defensive errors, to see them not be able to look like they're going to create a shot, let alone a goal, a shot. Um, that, for me, was so hard to take in a European semi-final. Yeah, it, did, it didn't feel like a European semi-final. I mean, I, I, was, I watched it with my um, socially distanced, of course. Um, <laughs> but obviously, I spoke to my dad and my brother throughout the game. And we all said how boring it was. And th- mm. throughout the first half, that was the overriding feeling that it wasn't a, it, it didn't feel like a, a match of particular importance um, from the way we were playing. And obviously a big part of that is obviously the lack of fans. And I think we all appreciate that that, that is a, an enormous factor. But the players just didn't seem up for it. They didn't seem to have that desire, that intensity that you'd expect from a game which did represent that much importance. I mean, we, we've joked um, throughout the season that this is the biggest game of our season. This is the biggest game of our season. And it keeps happening. But this genuinely was a make-or-break game for us. Um, it was an opportunity to save what has been a, a dour season um, and put all of the negativity behind the league, behind us. Um, and the players didn't turn up and tactically we didn't look like we knew what we were sp- supposed to be doing we didn't have any ideas of how to break down um let's be let's be fair a resolute Villarreal um, side but we didn't put them under any pressure we didn't do anything to really stretch them or test them and even the chances we had okay we look at the the two occasions that Aubameyang hit the post um the first one i think he's he's done probably as, as good as he could possibly do when he's hit that shot onto the volley, uh, that volley onto the post. Um, 
and obviously the header in the second half as well. But beyond that, we just didn't look like creating anything. And like you say, um, the writing was pretty much on the wall um, from about 60 minutes onwards. Um, and you'd expect, particularly in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of a game of that importance, you really expect to to see your side throwing everything at, at, at the Villarreal defence. And we just didn't do it. So enormously disappointing. Um, and it's just left me feeling very, very negative about the future of Arsenal Football Club because ultimately... I mean, stranger, stranger things have happened, but it looks like uh, European football is going to be a no-go for, for this year um, unless something absolutely enormous happens in the remaining games. But mm. uh, it's just it's, it's just a feeling of complete abjectness. It's really difficult to, to see light at the end of the tunnel because it's such an enormous job to turn this around for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, before we go on to to the future, I just wanted to I was I was wanted to showcase something that we all perhaps just the thing is going into this game, everyone I spoke to, I think we just didn't think what had happened this season would happen in the European semi. But no. here, I just wanted to 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 reel off this. So on on the fourteenth of February, we beat Leeds at home four two. Um, we had one home game at a neutral venue, but I just want to list off the results uh, we had since then. So we lost 1-0 to City. Then we beat Tottenham 2-1. Then we lost 3-0 to Liverpool. one all with Slavia Prague. 1-0 with Fulham. 1-0 loss to Everton. There was another 1-0 loss against Olympiacos. So if you take that Tottenham game out, since the 14th of February, and we're now in March... We have not scored more than one goal at home. And we have mainly been shut out. Now, when that was the league, we sort of put it to one place and said, ah, yes, but that's the league. <laughs> yeah. we, that won't happen when it matters most. But it has now. And that, for me, is the part that I really can't get my head round talking to you today and have struggled with this week, is that this has been in the post this season. But I just didn't think in a European semi we would still lack the coherence on the pitch to create chances. I just can't believe it. We had one Bamiyang header where he has leapt like Superman on a OK cross from Bellerin. And that was it. A couple of pullbacks for Hector. I mean, we'll get onto Arteta, but Bamiyang and Bellerin started looking like they were getting through and he took them both off. Yeah, And I don't think that either of them had games to write home about. But the minute it looked like something was starting to happen, he yanked them off. Yeah, And he either made... I, I just... Oh, well, we'll come back to him. But just looking at those home results, I can't believe how bad it's been. But I just can't believe we did this in the semi-final. I just... How how do you how how do you explain that as a manager as a club to to be that insipid um, at home? It's it's incredible to me, and it's not just fans. By the way, I know you said fans help. It would have been different, but Villarreal didn't have fans at home, and they had intensity in the first leg. Um, several teams, you know, across Europe didn't have fans at home, but mustered a huge amount of intensity in comparison to what we were anywhere near able to produce. 
it's just uh, that's the part I'm I'm struggling with the most. What what do you sort of make of our home form, seeing as where we are now? I, I think you make a really valid point about other teams managing to raise their game despite the lack of supporters, and I think that kind of is the the crux of the matter with our home form because you've got a group of players who clearly are incapable of motivating themselves and evidently what's become clear throughout the season is we we probably have a manager who's not capable of motivating the players um so when you've got those two factors married up together uh it makes it very very difficult to create anything of note um so that's probably where where my standpoint is and I, I know we, we keep saying, well, obviously, we'll come back to um, Mikel Arteta, but that, that that seems to be the thing that I'm I'm keep getting drawn back to. Because I think up until fairly recently, I've still bought into the whole fact that this is quite a, it's obviously a long process and we're, we're going to see change um, gradually rather than rapidly as we'd all like to see it. Um, but Thursday night was kind of the tipping point for me that I was already wavering anyway. But as soon as it was over, I texted you and said that for for me that's Arteta done, and I, mm. I and I don't see how he how he recovers from this. Um, unfortunately, I don't see the club being bold enough to say this isn't working. Let's change it because it, ultimately, you look at the league form, you look at the Europa League now now being gone. Um, obviously, you can look at how we performed in the cups as well. And it's it's so alarming. It's so alarming um, where we're at, and you just you really struggle to see this man as being the the guy capable of turning it around. And I think I think it's all well and good being invested in a project, which I think that's what the Arsenal board are currently invested in. Um, but it's about being experienced enough and sensible enough to know when a project isn't working and I think mm. I think it's very clear that this project is not working and ultimately I think I think Mikel Arteta will become a good coach but I, I think this is probably a job a job too big for an inexperienced manager at this stage yeah it's interesting because I I um everything you're saying I 100% agree with but I've got a few caveats but I just wanted to ask you really about whether you think sort of his biggest challenge really not his biggest challenge i think i think that's a different com- question why do you think he's he's he struggled so much with a left back being out to to, to find, he's tried to find a solution I, I think the biggest problem with arteta is he tries to be too clever and i feel like I don't think it's a motivation problem. I think it's an overcomplication problem. Yesterday, no, oh, dare we now? God, it feels it's been such a blur. <laughs> uh, Thursday, um, in that performance, Odegaard and Smith Rowe as two floating tens, not played once this season. Why? He wasn't going to start. He wasn't going to start Xhaka in midfield after seeing what Villarreal did last week. Why? Like. That's the bits that make you lose your job. Abamyang off the only player who looked like anything remotely. If there was even a, a quarter of a chance, he might do something. He takes him off. Why? Bellerin starting to make inroads down the right takes him off. Why? This stuff. 
I don't understand. Yeah. Because to take a Bamiang off and 10 minutes later bring on Nketiah so he can foul them a couple of times. And that's not on Nketiah, by the way. He's not up to speed with the game. He's desperate to make an impact. Desperate. Desperate. But yeah. it actually blew away injury time. Not that not that that's why we didn't create a chance in, in the final 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think you... I mean, it's, it's, it seems obvious to say, but you can take it back... To pretty to most games where we've not won or or not not performed, you can take it back and you can highlight mistakes that Mikel Arteta has made. You only have to look at the first leg and playing Emil Smith Rowe as a false nine, where we've played that once away at Manchester City this season with William as a false nine, and it didn't work there. Um, and he's decided to play that in in what was our biggest biggest contest of the season. It, and it, obviously it didn't work because we, we don't play that system. And I think I was talking to my dad about it. And I think a big factor with it is that he's obviously come from an environment where he's been educated under the guidance of Pep Guardiola with world-class players surrounding him. And I think he, what I'm seeing is that he's got this very probably holistic approach to football that he sees that good players should be able to play in different positions and ultimately we're a squad of not good players and we're a squad of players who are not capable of adapting to different scenarios and different tactics and I think that's naivety on Arteta's um, behalf because he's I think he's trying to play like you say too complicated but also I think he's trying to fit the players to a system that he wants to play rather than finding a system that works best with the players that he's got. Um, but, 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 do you, do, but, but do you not think that the problem is, is that we've had a couple of systems that work and then one small cog changes and he doesn't stick with it. I, my biggest problem is I'd rather, he said, this is how we're going to play yeah. and the players fit in it. And if they're not good enough, they go and it's very clear. I, that's the bit that I can't take. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, you, I mean, you go back to the start of the season when, and obviously the tail end of last season where the three at the back was working. Um, and obviously he abandoned that and then it slowly looked like the team got up to scratch using the four at the back. But as soon as Tierney's been out, that's been that's been the problem. And we've spoken about it on this podcast before that it's ridiculous that we're so over-reliant on a left-back. But... That's the, that's the situation we're in. And with Tierney's injury record since he's been at Arsenal, I just look back to the decision to let Kolasinac go um, without having a left-back coming in as ludicrous because you, you only need to have one injury to Tierney. And obviously, he's had a few since that, that decision was made. And he's left us really struggling in that position ever since. So, it's... Uh, there's there's so many errors yeah, you can look, look at throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, we, we've we've enjoyed on this podcast um, Sayed Kalasinac's cameos <laughs> in midfield for Schalke. <laughs> I mean, so there is that, Tom. I mean, they, they, yeah, sorry, <laughs> so t- Arsenal just, Football don't... Club, you have given us that, so I should apologise. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> content otherwise yeah we've got nothing to say about all this for me i i on after the game i'll tell you what i did i i i'd accidentally actually ordered um uh some some it's my anniversary on wednesday tom and uh, i'd accidentally ordered some presents to the flat not the house i'm in 
So I got in the car and I drove to the flat to pick those up in, in near enough silence and just took it all in. Um, I was so numb and in many ways being in the ground would have helped and seeing the anger and the ire and the disappointment would have helped with the recovery from this because yeah. it would have felt more raw and real. It didn't feel real that we just got knocked out of a European semi to Unai Emery. I mean, oh, but but the pain wasn't the same. It wasn't the pain I expected to feel. Um, and I was quite surprised by that. I thought I'd be insufferable and, and I wasn't because it's been coming, as, as I said. So we've just had some interesting technical difficulties. This might not completely follow on from what I said, but what I wanted to say was now with some time to reflect, I feel like if Arsenal were basically anyone who is an Arsenal in the top half, they would sack their manager. But a small part of me would still give him a window until December. But I don't actually know at this point what I'm basing that on because all the evidence is to the contrary. And that's, I want to believe I want to give him that time. But also I feel like we've seen more than enough to know that's wasted time. But I'm really struggling with that um, decision in my head. Um, it should be clear cut for the board, but as someone who wants him to do so well, a small part of me wonders, should he get a, a window? I don't know. What do you think? I'm kind of in agreement because I would love nothing more than to have my my words that I've expressed today that I that I think it's time for him to go. I'd love to make for me to look stupid um, in hindsight, um, and Arteta turn it around and turn us into a, a competitive team again. Uh, gen, genuinely, I'd love to be proved wrong, but I just I think you're I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your your summary of that because you've kind of said that. You, you, want, you want it to work so much because obviously he is an ex-player. Um, we don't want to become a club that just sacks managers willy-nilly. But I think you're absolutely right that any other club in this situation in the top half, um, he's he's probably gone already, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. And we're there's no, there's no even rumblings that he's under pressure, which is what I sort of find really alarming. And I think... I uh, it's so hard because I think I, I, I agree entirely about what you're saying about he, he's not had a proper window. He's not had an opportunity to get his own players in, really. And obviously, beforehand, he was head coach. So it's debatable about how much impact he would have had on, on arrivals. Whereas now he is the manager. You'd expect him to be far more involved in that process. So you do want him to have that time. But ultimately, I think he this season is just any trust that he did have amongst the fan base, he's kind of lost. And it's an enormous task to to rebuild that trust. Yeah. Um, and, and also, whatever money we have this summer to be able to go into the transfer window, is he the man to to spend that wisely? Um, that that's that's the bit where I sort of come back to because we mm. we cannot afford we cannot afford to make any mistakes with this. We've we've got to do this properly. Yeah. Um, but what I think is really interesting, and, and there's, a, there's a whole podcast to be done about this, Tom, around the squad and talking about that, because I, I, I love to do it, because, you know, it, it's um, 
What's interesting is you and I wax lyrical about the signing of Thomas Party, but you know, let's let's say it properly. He's been terrible. Like he he's yeah he's been terrible, and he's been made to be terrible by the system. But also, he's been terrible. Um, yeah. Regardless of the system we play, if you're going to pass it into touch every three passes or not hit it with accuracy, then we're going to struggle. Um, he's also been blighted by injury, but it just shows you. For me, it goes back to the sort of money ball. Um, approach where you can't invest £50 million in a player. We'd be better off this season of buying two £20 million centre midfielders who are in their 20s who can establish and grow into the role. I'm not joking when I say this. I genuinely at this point am wondering if we didn't spend that money on party and we'd had a season of Maitland-Niles, Willock, uh, sorry, Maitland-Niles and Willock in there, would it have been that bad? I don't know that it would have been worse. Because this is the I thing at this yeah. point. The platform is so low. And yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Like, there is so much for him to do. Do I trust him? No. But I shouldn't... The biggest problem we have, and again, I don't really want to get into this because it's even more depressing than what's already depressing, but the club don't have the infrastructure around him or the personnel around him to mean he can just get on with coaching the players. He can be part of deciding who's going to be part of the playing squad going forward. But we have a long-term plan, or at least a medium-term plan, to get back in. Because the only thing I'd say about squad building with money that I do feel is um, slightly um, not wrong to say at all, but but we have that many players we should and need to sell because we're not in the we're not going to be in the Europa. And if we're in this nation's conference, whatever, European conference, I play the kids, you know, it doesn't really matter until the latter stages. We don't need a squad. We need an no. 11. Our goal now is to get an 11 with, with maybe five or six subs. Because we've got 24 players, really. Um, and so many of them, we could debate whether they're good enough. Arsenal need to concentrate on getting back to having a first 11 that is of a calibre that can compete with almost any team in the league. Because until we have that, we're going nowhere. Because we'd still, and this is, I think, where it all comes back to, Arteta has had 18 months, there or thereabouts, to create a first eleven, And he has not done it. And I do think we've got the most ridiculous mix of players. But when I'm clamouring for Mohamed Elneny to play, so we have some balance in midfield, you know it's all wrong. Yeah, it's it's a total disaster this season in terms of a first eleven because you you just look at the amount of changes that are consistently made. And I I'm going to use the defence as a as a case in point here um, that we don't know what our best back four is, and it's very difficult to build the foundations of a successful team without having a regular um, defensive partnership, particularly if you look at the central defensive area. Um, and without that, I mean, the only the only player that you know is the first name on the team sheet in terms of defence is Kieran Tierney, if he's fit. Everyone else is up for debate. Um, and you could say the same for pretty much the whole team. Uh, you go through the midfield, the same problem has, has existed. Um, you go through uh, the attack, same problems existed without having that balance. And... That you're you're absolutely right. That that is the challenge that Arteta, if he is the man in charge, has. He needs to get that eleven sorted before we start thinking about anything else. Um, but you were, but also what you said about not having the infrastructure around him. 
that's that kind of hits the nail on the head for everything because it all filters down from the top. We've got an absent owner. We've got uh, a bunch of people who have at board level been moved around we've had people in for a certain amount of time then they've gone um we've never for the last couple of years we've not had that it's probably since gazidis left actually we've not had that that solidification of a board that you can build the the club around um so it's really really alarming um, and you look at our transfer policy, you look at William arriving, even Thomas Partey, I know we were excited about it, but if you really break it down, he's a 27-year-old, which isn't obviously old, but in terms of what we need to do, like you say, probably would have been better spent to spend that money across two uh, two positions and bring younger players in who can really adapt to the situation that we need. So... I don't know. I'm going around in circles with this but statement. The thing, the thing with uh, the thing with party as well at this point is he's now not going to play European football till he's 29. Um, yeah. And then, really, have we got him in his? Have we wasted his prime on whatever we're going to do next season? Um, I, I think the thing is, I don't want to. There's a lot being said around: is this the beginning of the the dip, or is this the lowest ebb? Um, I, I'm not. I, I'm not quite there yet, and the only reason I say that is because I feel like these players need external factors, like the fans, more than others do, and that speaks to their professionalism. But Arteta came to change the culture, and that's a journey. That's a journey. And um, Arsenal, too much of a club, have accepted mediocrity. And um, you know, I look at the fact we've extended Rob Holding's contract. Uh, in this season, and he's been he's been dire since the turn of the year. He was appalling in both legs, as was Pablo Marie, who saw that coming. The journeyman from uh, the second division in Spain. You know what I don't understand, and this is, comes back to a little bit of Arteta, and, and this is why the infrastructure thing's really hard for me, right? Because Gabriel is our best defender, and we didn't lose on over these two legs because of the defence, really. It's because of our inability to create chances. However, we spent £30 million on a really good centre-half. And yes, he has his moments, but he should have been playing. He should have been playing. And you'd question at this point whether how much worse could William Saliba be than Rob Holding. Um, Cedric, really? I think Cedric's been better at right-back than Bellerin or Chambers this season when he's played there. Agreed. So why hasn't he... But what on earth has he done to not be playing at right-back? And at worst, why not left-back? Jacques has been good in centre-mid for the last two, three months. He puts him at left-back. And that's when I go, no, he's got to go. <laughs> to completely yeah. counter the point I was saying earlier. The only challenge with the infrastructure is, is whether you believe that Arteta can get this right. Now, I just think Arteta needs more experience around him, whether that's senior, seniority at board level or whether that's in the coaching staff. He needs more help. He's got young people around him. And I think, to be perfectly honest with you, counter countering what I said, I'm arguing myself, I think everyone is at the minute, is he is out of his depth and this is too much too soon. Because um, I look at someone like Lampard, Right, and and he went to Derby, cut his teeth, and proved himself. Then he got the job at Chelsea, did a pretty good job, but was always a bit of a myth. Uh, but took them to a point where look where they are now, and they've got a top manager with a ridiculous squad 
who we hope loses the Champions League final. But yeah, but that's the journey they've gone on. And Arteta, okay, he could have been the Lampard equivalent for us, but, but he hasn't been. But actually, he set the club on a journey of improving the culture. You know, and I think that's something to be commended. And it's about whether he can take the next step. I think he, I, I think as a club of our stature, he shouldn't. Whether I think he can or not is by the by. He shouldn't for the club of our stature. But Arsenal or Arsenal. And I, I, the reality is he will, I think he will get to December. And if he's backed in the right way and the right decisions are made, then you never know. It could, we could bounce straight back. Because the only final one I was just going to say is that we have been, with the lack of depth in our squad and quality, the Europa League's actually been probably more of a hindrance than we think. And focusing on getting on the training pitch six days a week and then a game could be the best thing we've needed for a while. We're not going to win the Europa League. It's it always, you know, if you look at our record post-Europa League games, it's been atrocious. To not have that could be the blessing we need to accelerate our path back into back into European football and be ready for it. And that's the only positive about being completely out of Europe. I think we've got sellable assets. We've got Guendouzi, Torreira, Willock, Maitland-Niles, hopefully Willian, Lacazette. We've got a lot of players that could go. And really, you wouldn't need to fill them in the squad because we don't need an enormous squad next season. We, we don't. Um, and that's the first time in our life, in my adult and teen life, that I've ever said this. I, I can't, the thing I'm saddest about is that my whole life has been around Arsenal playing midweek. And they're not going to. And that's the strangest thing to come to terms with for me, is that I, I will watch this club a third less next season, which to be honest with you, it's incredible to me. I, I, I can't believe we're sitting here saying that. I just did not think after we won the FA Cup that se- last season that there'd be any way we weren't in, in Europe and, and who knows when we'll be back. Yeah, and uh, two, two interesting points is obviously, firstly, season tickets are probably going to be cheaper. So there's one thing. <laughs> and, sec- and secondly... Uh, I believe that we will go into the second round of the League Cup because we're not playing European football. Oh my God. You're right. So, so that's exciting. <laughs> oh my word. I've never seen the second round. I, I've never... Neither, neither have I. It's, it's the sort of thing that happens uh, in the footballing calendar. We see it as just a myth because we're not in, we're not in it. Yes. Oh, we're gonna get. Oh, we might. We might get to see a nice lower league ground, Tom. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I like. I brought that in, and that's literally blown your mind, isn't it? It has. It has. I actually can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> I actually, wow. So there is a second round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do we have to do to get to the first round? <laughs> oh God. I mean. From Super League to League Cup second round. That is wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Talking of League Cup second round, by the way, there's there's two things I wanted to talk to you about. Firstly, was um how rare do wins feel uh, this season? And and we're 
we're not in the bottom half. It, it, it made me have this whole newfound respect for teams that are actually down there. Because I feel like we've barely won this season. Yet we have. And I think I was I was looking at it. So we've had, what, 34 games. And I think we've won 14, maybe 13. I don't yeah. know. Um, so we, we've we've played 20 games we haven't won. And that's that's mid-table form. Can you actually imagine what it's like being a relegation candidate? I, I can't because it feels like we've lost every week. I know we haven't, but we haven't had a run. And it just I had a newfound respect for mid-table clubs because it just feels like you don't really win. It, it is depressing. <laughs> um, I can I can uh, imagine it's it's unbelievably depressing when you are in that situation. But I think it's uh, like if you're a team that's come up from uh, like the championship as, uh, as an example, and you're fighting to stay in the league, I think it must be wins probably feel that bit more special because. They're so unexpected. Like, I think about our season, and I agree with you entirely that it feels like we haven't won any games this season. <laughs> um, but you look at some of the games we have won. We won at Old Trafford. Mm. We beat Chelsea at home. We beat Tottenham at home. And I, those three wins felt enormous when they happened. And I think because of how insipid our displays have been and how poor our form has been, I think those felt that little bit more special because of that. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking primarily, probably mo- mostly about the Chelsea game because we were in such a dour period of form that 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 felt absolutely meteoric when we won that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it did feel like an enormous weight had been lifted, which I think um, only added to the sort of like the, the pleasure of that victory. Mm. So, but then I was also thinking that. We've won some games this season that you you look at and you think we we really shouldn't have won those games. And I'm thinking about those three games that on paper you'd look at and think, no, Arsenal aren't going to get a result there. And if we hadn't won those games that we that we would think that about, <laughs> fucking hell, we'd be in a whole heap of trouble. <laughs> but on the flip side, you know that I look at the two Burnley games, the Wolves games. Yeah. Um, in particular, you know, Fulham at home and Everton at home, even recently. I mean, we just thrown, thrown five points away. And this is the thing. This is why I can't get too, um, well, I can get very angry about this and upset. But like, I just feel we've been playing on the margins and he needs to have that eureka moment where he realises top clubs score about 100 goals and about 50 of them look rubbish. Um and are just a consequence of having blitzed the other team and being 2-0 up. You know, it just blitzed the team. You've got the players there. I, I, I think we could have a good old thorough debate about whether the players are there. Because I see a lot being like, you know, the players, they're certainly better than this. And I'm I'm just a bit... I don't I don't know that that's true. But maybe... Well, I don't think it is true. <laughs> but but that doesn't... That doesn't... <laughs> quite possibly. But it doesn't... Um. It, it, that doesn't mean it's not also on him. Uh, and that's where I think we are. I do think it, this is a complete collective failing that basically on Thursday, I felt the only player who played how you play a semi-final was Emil Smith-Rowe. And right. he's 20. Um, <laughs> and and he's having to carry the fight. That should never happen. That should never happen. Um, and that's where we are. 
that's not to dismiss, you know, what Saka's done or, or Tierney and there's other players we like, but they're kind of the, the three on the pitch that we, we do would want to stay and build around. But, but Emil Smith-Rowe shouldn't be carrying the fight. He shouldn't be the only one brave enough to beat a man, the only one brave enough and working hard enough to come back. I mean, he was the only one you thought it might come from. And the thing that hurts me for him is that he had the chance and he, he did all he could do. And if he'd have scored a couple more times this season, or if he was a couple of years older and he's been in that position, I remember, I remember when Fabregas was coming through, he missed a lot of chances. Um, yeah. And he had a season where he just, he took a moment in the box. He relaxed and suddenly it came. And that's going to happen with Smithrow. It's almost inevitable. I, I can tell you exactly when it happened with Sesk because it was uh, a season when I think it was, 0, it must have been 06, 07, yeah. uh, when he didn't score all year and then he scored against Bolton at home and we won 2-1. And then he scored the game after against Man City. And then the following season, he just exploded. Mm. And he was just absolutely phenomenal. And I think it was that moment against Bolton when he, he did take that moment in the box. And then when he scored, he went, he went absolutely ballistic when he scored. <laughs> um, and and it, But it did feel like that moment, that that was when the, 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 the switch had been flicked. And I think Smith Rowe needs that. Speaking of that chance, though, can we just talk about how good his first touch was? Oh, my word. Sensational. Instant. It was so good. Instant. I, I, I mean, how bad was their goalie? Also, they're going to get crucified by Man U in the final. Yes, they are. But like going back to the goalie situation, like we text quite a few times to say, he's dreadful. Why aren't we putting pressure on him? And then I just... I, if I if I was Arteta, I'd be telling my full backs and my wide players to just put balls in because he could not deal with any of them. Mm. And I'd be putting them right on top of him because he could not deal with anything that was happening. Um, all of our set pieces felt like they were just hopeful floating balls into the box. Um, and again, I'd have been putting the, the, the corners straight on top of the goalkeeper and surrounding him with our players to try and force that, those mistakes. Um, but yeah, so get, again, another <laughs> another tactical thing that we're talking about, isn't it? So yeah. uh, let's keep him. <laughs> <laughs> um, last last uh, la- last one. I want to go on. What were you gonna say? No, I was just, I was just gonna say we should have evened it up and played Runison in goal, but he's uh, he, was cut <laughs> tight, wasn't he? He, he he got taken out of the squad, so uh, that that's uh, wouldn't have happened. But. Oh dear, I'm surprised he didn't bring him on somehow. Uh, get done on a, <laughs> a bit of paperwork to just cover his sins. Oh, God. Okay, right. So um, the one thing I wanted to say to you was, I remember, uh, I sort of wanted to, to, to talk to you about this. I remember constantly being asked about whether I was Wenger in or Wenger out, right? Uh, yeah. And I found the debate really hard because I said, look, I, I can see that he's on the decline and we accept that and there's reasons for that. But my biggest worry was what would happen after he left. I, I think I said this so many times. If we'd have done podcasts then, okay, it wasn't perfect. But you know what? We were still capable of absolutely ridiculous football. We won a hell of a, a lot more than we lost. Uh, if Wenger was the manager against Villarreal, 
he's not pissing around with a different system. He probably, I saw an amazing thing. It was like, he goes in, draws a picture of a wolf on a formation board, picks the team and just sends them out, says nothing else. Just like, off you go, lads. Like that was Wenger. You, you have, I have no doubt we'd have won that tie with Arsene Wenger in charge, by the way. I have no doubt, even with those players, even in his decline. Uh, it's not even a question to me whether we'd have, personally, whether we'd have done it. Yeah. But my... I'm a... Go on. <laughs> I was just going to say my biggest worry was always what would happen after he left. And I hate to sort of say to my former self, um, you were right because I didn't want to be right. But I'm yeah. so, it, it's, it's, it's the worst. It's a disaster. He needs to come back in some way. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it when, when you tweeted that the other day. Um, I, I thought about it for ages, actually. Um, and although it was, it was the right time for Wenger to go, but bloody hell, he was holding things together. Mm. You just have to look at what's happened since he's gone. And obviously, Unai Emery very nearly got us back into the Champions League but through both the league and, and the Europa League. But you just have to look at it and think, Arsene Wenger was holding things together. And we need someone to do something similar because, <laughs> and I don't think Mikel Arteta is the person for that, but I think you make such a valid point about the fear of what would happen. And I, and I think I was probably pretty, pretty similar in my, in my stance um, about the Wenger in and out debate, but it's, it's just heartbreaking seeing where we've ended up mm. and you look at how consistent Wenger was. And I do think, I, I saw something the other day and someone someone said that uh, Arsenal have been in gradual decline since we left Highbury, which I think is a fair statement. But I think you have to take a big chunk of that period when Arsene Wenger was in charge and, and just say he did a fantastic job because he was working under enormous financial restrictions and managed to keep us competitive throughout a really difficult era without spending an awful lot of money. So I think... I, I don't really agree that he was the, the main problem. And I know there's a big divide. Some people think that Arsene Wenger is, is, is evil. Um, but like you said, we would not have lost that tie on on Thursday if he was in charge of the club. No, because there'd have been no fear in the team to go and win the game. Yeah. That's Arteta's problem. He has fear of losing it, whereas... Winning is about bravery, and uh, look, it's it's. I don't want to say we should still have Wenger. That's not what I'm saying. It's just my biggest worry. I I would want him back in some capacity. I mean, if you told me he was coming to join Arteta as not assistant manager, um, but but like uh, on the a director of football type level, or just just around the club. Just, just get him at Colney every day. <laughs> just get him yeah. there in some capacity to carry the values and what matters with this club. But I was actually thinking this as well because I was, I was talking to, to my neighbour who is a Spurs fan and it actually got me thinking, God, terrible to say this, but about them and their rise. And it does show you that a manager can do it all because Pochettino did it for them. They, they, they didn't have an infrastructure. They didn't have a the, the the platform. You know what we're talking about. They they had the same people in the club. He came and changed it. Yeah, and it can happen. And if I look at the Premier League right now, forget Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, okay, and forget what 
what's going on with Man U and everything. Because he's he's not that. Although having said that, to, to his credit, Solskjaer, he has put values of that club back in, and they do rip teams to part apart, and they do have that attacking way. Um, but Klopp and Guardiola are sensational managers, and I, I I don't like to say this, but if we had either of them, and maybe Tuchel is the same. I don't know, not enough times passed. But if we had Klopp or Guardiola, we'd have the one man who'd replaced Wenger, who can do it all. But we don't. Yeah. And if you don't have that, you need the infrastructure. But we it, it, we can get that person in. I don't know who they are, but it can happen that they elevate you. And that's the only thing. And I think it's clear it's not Arteta. So you need to support him. But it does... I still think it's a manager's game. After all this change, directors of football, I still think ultimately it comes down to the managers being the key figureheads at the club at the end of the day. Yeah, I had uh, one of my students at school uh, who's a Tottenham fan came up to me and uh, was bullying me, obviously. Um, and <laughs> he he said to me, uh, obviously after a few, few jibes about the Europa League, um, I I then then said, yeah, it's just been a disastrous season. He, and he said, would you would you sack the manager? And I said, yeah, I think it's time to go. And he was like, who would you bring in though? And I and I, I said, to him, I don't know. I don't know who who is out there that is big enough for this job. Um, so it kind of goes back to what you've just said about finding that one manager who can do it. And I don't know who who there is that's available that can come in and do the job that we need them to do. Um, yeah. So it's a really difficult one. And that, and that's, that's, I think that's probably the main caveat for me being slightly hesitant about saying that Arteta out, because I don't know who there is that can bring them, we can bring in, but ultimately like this is when I, I said, I've said things like this in the past. It's not my job to find them. So it's all well and good me saying on it in an ideal world, who would you want? But it's not my job to find the right person for the job. <laughs> Um, and that is and that is the Arsenal board and the Arsenal hierarchy. That is their responsibility. And if they do think it's time for Arteta to go, and, I, and I, let's be honest, I agree with you entirely that I think he will get given the summer, and I think he'll. I think it'll be down to how well we start next season, which will dictate the future of Mikel Arteta. Um, and December time probably is about right for for when he's going to get an opportunity to. Um, but I just don't, I don't know who you bring in. Is, is the big problem. Well, yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. But I, I um, my, my advice with anything like this is to look around Europe or to look in your league and see a manager that's got a club punching above their weight. And they're the yeah. ones I always think, just try that because that's what we need to do now. We need to punch above our weight. And that's the thing is that our weight, we are the sixth weightiest club. Um, and if we were finishing sixth and having a pop at the Europa League with a team that was capable of finishing sixth, we'd actually be up there as one of the favourites for Europe. So you just need to find someone who can get you punching slightly above your weight class. That is all. And I look at the likes of, um, obviously, I, I keep my eye on quite a lot of European leagues. Um, and if you even if you look at Champions League runs and you see which teams can go further. So if you look at Lille, who we seem to have funded for the last year, um, I don't know if you've seen that they're top um, and they're closing yeah. in on a um, league uh, title ahead of Mauricio Pochettino's 
uh, <laughs> PSG, which is, you know, the irony against what I was just saying, but just shows you it's right man, right club as well. I, I look at the manager there. I also look at Ralph Hassenhüttel. I've always thought he, what he did, he took Leipzig to a ridiculously high level. He's got Southampton playing great stuff. He just doesn't have the squad. They're a really hard team to play against and he could do more damage with better players. The likes of Graham Potter, he's got Brighton playing the most ridiculous football. And if you look at uh, your friend of mine, XG, Brighton would walk the league if they had a goal scorer, it seems. Um, you've got to look out for those things. They're, they're the upper, they're, they're, there's evidence. They're not, not out there. I know it's not our job to find them, but just find a manager who's got a team punching above their weight and bring them in. Because the only thing I was going to say to you, that at this point, you know, there's always been, I've always been um, like signing a player from the Premier League or signing a player who like people think, who, who scored 10 league goals in France last season. And we'd be like, oh, that's no, they're not coming to Arsenal. They're nowhere near good enough. They probably are good enough now to take us up a level if they are the yeah. right player and do the right. We're not where we were two years ago, where you can turn your nose up at certain players. It's bizarre. Like I would, I, I know Tierney's changed this, but you know we're linked with this Edward um, yeah, at Celtic. Edward, yeah, yeah, and I'm a bit like we shouldn't be signing players from that league. And now I'm going, yeah, it'd probably get us 10, 15 goals, and that'd be an improvement. <laughs> That's where we are. That's where yeah, we are. It, it's, it's about harbouring expectations now. Um, and I, I think within the fan base, that's going to be something that's really challenging because so many Arsenal fans think that we should be signing players of the calibre of Lionel Messi because of where we once were. And this is this is a problem we're going to have. It's, it's, it's a gradual process. It's going to have to be bringing players in that are going to be happy to come to... Look, there's going to be players that still want to play for Arsenal Football Club because whatever you say about the current state of our club and whether we're in Europe or not, we're still a massive pool because of um, how big a club we are um, worldwide. So there's going to be people that want to play for Arsenal. But it's about finding, obviously, the right ones who can take us to that next level. And I think what you're saying about bringing in players like Odds and Edouard, potentially, um, would be an improvement on what we have. And I think we're going to have to find a way of becoming a, a, a really competitive collective as opposed to having one or two individuals um, that can do things that are magic and I think that's going to be what we need to sort of focus on within our, our starting 11 over, over the the coming years yeah. um, and, but we'll see well, but I, I think I think a big part of it is going to be tapping into younger players and trying to take a gamble on who is going to be the next big thing um, much like we did with Gabriel Martinelli. It's going to be about being clever in the transfer market and picking players like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're all we're both in agreement then, Captain Joe Willock. <laughs> we are. It's it's unbelievable what he's doing. Unbelievable what he's doing. <laughs> every every time he scores, I just text you just saying, Joe. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He's he's on fire. It, 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 do you know, things like that are just that extra slap in the face. It is an extra slap in the face, but like I, I'm, I'm part of a, an Arsenal group chat and I don't really comment much of it. I just sort of watch what other people are saying. And I saw loads of people say another mistake by Arteta letting him go out alone. And I, and I almost jumped in and was just like, no, it wasn't a mistake. There's no one. Willick needed to go out alone. He needed to play regularly. Um, 
And obviously, he's not started maybe as much as we would have liked at, at Newcastle, but he's taking his opportunities. And this is what you want from a loan player. We don't, It shouldn't be a case where we want them to go on loan and we want them to do badly. We want them to do well because ultimately the whole point of the loan system is to send them out, see if they're good enough to play for your team and then bring them back in if they are. And it's it can only be a positive because if he's not good enough to play for Arsenal, all this is doing is increasing his price tag because he's showing that he can score goals at the Premier League level. So... I think it's great, but it is a bit of a kick in the face that uh, we've got no midfielders scoring for us. Yeah, Joe Willock's banging them in for fun. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is. Right, I've got one last question for you, Tom. I can't wait. We've got four Premier League games left. How many games do you think we're going to win before now and the end of the season? Um, I think we'll beat West Brom on, on Sunday. Right. Uh, I think we'll lose at Chelsea. Yep. Uh, the only because obviously because they're still trying to go for the Champions League places. I just as much as and they've got a, a really strong squad. I, I can see them trying to rotate a little bit ahead of the cup final, but um, I ju- I still can't see us getting anything there. Uh, who else have we got to play? I've got completely forgotten. Um, Palace then then Brighton, which hopefully we'll be at. Yeah, Palace. I don't think we'll win out. I can see us drawing that. And Brighton, if we do have, obviously, it looks like we're going to have ten thousand fans there. Uh, I I think we'll win that just because of the the immediate impact of having supporters back. You know so what's going to happen? We're going to win four nil. No, we're going to win four nil and go. This next season's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next season's going to be fantastic when we're starting our League Cup campaign in September. <laughs> I can't wait. Cheltenham away, here we go. It's going to be it's going to be a fantastic journey. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of uh, <laughs> an interesting podcast to say the least. Um it's uh, it's been a real challenge uh, doing today's podcast, but it's uh, one that ultimately I am glad that we've done. Hopefully, the technical difficulties that we had uh, in the middle don't uh, restrict what our output too much, and I'll try my best to sort of sort that out. But thank you very much for your time, as always, Andre. It's been uh, it's been fun, I'd say. <laughs> pleasure as always. Pleasure. I feel better now. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think we did the right thing because not we what we what we said is that we were going to record on Friday if we won <laughs> and Saturday if we lost. So obviously we lost, so we're doing it on the Saturday. Um, and I think we needed that time just to calm down a bit and just regain our thoughts. So thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for the Boys in Red and White. We will be back next week with another podcast where we're going to talk about us beating West Brom, which will be really, really exciting, I'm sure. Can't wait. (laughs) Thank you and goodbye.